is good. All the time. Happy Mother's Day. I have a lot of wonderful memories concerning my mother, but one especially came to my mind this week. It was the spring of 1980. Track season was in full force at Ducoin High School. We were in Sparta for a triangular meet. How many of you were raised in Sparta? Would you raise your hand? All right, good, good, good. We were in Sparta for a triangular meet. And all of a sudden, the skies opened up and it was raining cats and bulldogs. There was no lightning. And back in those days, it didn't matter if there was. You were expected to suck it up and just do whatever you were doing anyway. Now, if there is lightning, perhaps in Moline, they call stuff off and kids sit for hours in dugouts while lightning is all around them. Us, we were out on the field where we could dodge the lightning bolts. I don't recall a single person ever being struck by lightning. Partially because we were all so fast. Well, I was a high hurdler by trade, but I could also pole vault, and for some reason other than excellent deportment, one of our regular two pole vaulters was suspended from school. Coach Carnes penciled me in. Today, I was also gonna pole vault. With the rain pounding down, it was my turn. Standing at the end of the runway, holding my fiberglass pole in front of me, I glanced into the grandstand before making my approach. Only two people remained in the grandstand to watch the meet. They were wrapped in trash bags. They were huddled underneath the bags. Two people in the grandstand at Sparta. One was my dad. The other was my mom. Mom didn't like the fact that I always chose dangerous sports. She really did not like me running high hurdles, but she really disliked the pole vault. And yet there she was, soaking wet, not going anywhere. I remember, and those of you that are athletes or those of you that have been in performance arts, you may have a time like this in your memory, but I remember just glancing at her and knowing how much I was loved. Nobody else was there. She was. And so was my dad. I also remember that I am the only pole vaulter in the history of the world who actually does better in the rain. <laughs> All the real pole vaulters were sliding, slipping, complaining, flying off their poles. I discovered I do just fine pole vaulting when it rains. It was the only competition in the pole vault I ever won during high school. And yet, thinking back, how could you possibly lose when every single person in the stands is rooting for you? <laughs> my mom and dad were my great cloud of witnesses that day. A cloud of two and a million raindrops, but a cloud nonetheless. Welcome to week two of In Search of the Holy. Even deeply rooted Christians can sometimes struggle to explain to clearly explain our beliefs to others, especially when we have values that run counter to a prevailing culture that is continually radiating at high speeds. 
This is just the price of doing business. If we are going to invite people to church, if we're going to share our faith, we are going to have to deal with this reality. So in this short series, I'm exploring an essential footer in Orthodox Christianity's foundation, holiness. My goal is to equip you to better own what you believe, to know why you believe it, to know what those beliefs are based upon. And to have you better equipped to share and, if need be, defend your faith. Now, last week, we concluded that asking Christ to forgive us of our sins and come into our lives, not keeping the Ten Commandments, is the on-ramp that leads to a relationship with God. Jesus did not abolish the Old Covenant. He fulfilled it with the intent of ushering in a new covenant as part of God's plan. Reconciliation with God in the Old Covenant was a religious ritual to be performed, an ultimate prize to be earned. Reconciliation with God in the New Covenant is a relationship to be entered and a gift of salvation to be received. But once we receive Jesus, what is next? Today I want to explore the process by which Christians, new Christians, become mature. Hebrews concludes with a glorious sports scene. It's an image that anybody in the first century Greco-Roman world would have found most familiar. It's a packed coliseum where people were enthusiastically gathered to watch an athletic contest in the Olympic tradition. Anticipation, enthusiasm was high. Old timers were telling their grandchildren about the greats of yesterday. And grandchildren were dreaming about becoming the greats of tomorrow. And it is into this context that the author of Hebrews introduces the life of holiness. Verse 1. Since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. This great cloud of witnesses roots with the angels for us to be effective in our mission. For people to be saved. For disciples to be made. Every time you invite someone to church, all of the angels in heaven cheer. Every time you sell, share your faith, the heavenly hosts applaud. We celebrated three first-time baptisms at Going Deeper on Wednesday. And I could almost hear the cloud crowd going crazy with excitement as we celebrated that. We are not here on our own. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. They are cheering us on every step of the way. You see, now, since the saints are rooting for us, what do we need to do? So I'm going to stop real quick. And those of you who feel deep in your heart that a good sermon is one where you get to take lots of notes, this is going to be the best sermon you've ever heard. All right? So if you are a note taker, I'm going to invite you to pull those out because we got some incredible things to talk about. So since the saints are rooting for us, let us. Three things. Number one, strip off what slows us down. In track and field, we had warm-ups. But you didn't run. You didn't jump. You didn't compete in the warm-ups. You just wore the warm-ups around to look cool. That's it. When an event came, you actually took off your warm-ups because they would only slow you down. Christians, what is slowing you down? What is occupying your mind and your time and your emotional energy other than Jesus? 
What are you spending a great deal of your life ruminating on that's not Jesus? Whatever it is, strip it off. Strip it off. You can't run. Having things attached to you that are just going to slow you down. Number two, lay aside the sin that trips us up. There are many ways to miss God's mark in a human life. But for many people, there's one particular sin that seems to be their biggest stumbling block. Is it your love of money? Anger, lust, dysfunction, drama? Your love or loathing of self? Is it your fear? Your doubt, your bitterness, your past pain, your apathy, whatever it is, the author of Hebrews says, lay it down. Lay it down. It's too heavy to carry. Lay it down. There was an old song in the gospel tradition that said, take your burdens to the altar and leave them there. The idea was we all come to church with stuff that's weighing on us. We all come to church with, with weight that is upon us. And the idea was come to the altar, lay those things at the feet of Christ and lay them aside. Leave them there. Number three, and run God's race with endurance. The Greek word for endurance doesn't just mean gut it out. The Greek word for endurance means hang in there. Get better. Make yourself better able to be victorious. There is a up curve to the Greek idea of endurance. You know, my mom told me a lot of things when I was growing up, but I think one of the simplest and truest that she ever told me is this, quitters never win. I haven't seen one quitter win in my whole life. Not one. Endure. You don't win unless you finish the race. Endure. Embrace the learning curve. Get better, not bitter. And then verse 2 says, well, we might think, well, how in the world am I supposed to do that? Verse 2 says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Like Peter climbing out of a boat during a storm on the Sea of Galilee, we can walk on water to the extent we are focused on Jesus. We can rise above the drama to the extent we are focused upon Jesus. We can rise above the political fray to the extent we are focused on Jesus. We can be effective as a church to the extent we are focused on Jesus. We stay focused on Jesus, we will walk on water. We lose focus, we will sink like a rock. Many years ago on a No Greater Love mission outreach, every year that we went, they would give us t-shirts for the New Orleans Mardi Gras mission outreach. And on this particular year, they were shirts and they said, no greater love, dot, 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 on the front. And then the back said Jesus, great big, Jesus. Well, this particular year, we were marching through the French Quarter, had probably 300 guys, three abreast, taken across some signs through the French Quarter. I always loved that. I always loved just, I always felt like we were telling the devil, not today. You think you've got this, we're not going to let you have it uncontested. I always love that. There's just something in me like that. I feel like it's like a pitcher that likes to throw inside somehow. I've always loved that. So here we are, we're pushing through. It was warm that year, 
And up on the balconies, all kinds of, I mean, it was like Sodom and Gomorrah on steroids up in the balconies that year. And I remember that before we went out, they told us, they said, keep your eyes upon Jesus. You get your eyes on other stuff, you're going to sink. Keep your eyes upon Jesus. And all this craziness was happening above us. And I just remembered thinking, it's really easy to do because the guy in front of me has this shirt that says Jesus about this big in the back. And all I had to do was just keep my eyes on Jesus. Folks, when you're tempted to do dumb things, when you're tempted to lose focus, just keep your eyes upon Jesus. Next, the author of Hebrews reminds us of who Jesus is. Three things. Number one, he is the champion. He's the champion. Jesus paid the ultimate price for our sin on a cross. He won the victory over death on resurrection morning. And he is coming back for his church. You want to know how it all ends? Jesus wins. I read the back of the book. Jesus wins. And if we are on his side, we are on the winning team. He is the winner. He is the champion. Number two, he's the initiator. With the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, God initiated this thing we call Christianity. And with the resurrection outside of Jerusalem, he finished it. The outcome has already been determined. Oh, they're playing the game out. But the outcome has already been determined. That happened on Easter morning. The old covenant established that we could not get to God. With the new covenant, Jesus came to us. He is the initiator. If you weren't, sometimes we think it's us that's doing all this. I, I just want to suggest to you, if God weren't wanting you, you wouldn't be wanting God. This begins with God. This ends with God. Jesus is the initiator. He's the one that calls us to himself. Number three, he's the perfecter. The Greek word translated perfect does not mean flawless. It means functional or mature. So a perfect football would not mean it, it doesn't, it, it wouldn't mean that it's not beat up a bit. It just means you can play football with it. A perfect cup, perfect cup coffee cup doesn't mean that it's not chipped it just means you can drink coffee without cutting your mouth in the same sense of the greek idea of perfect a perfect small bird would be a mature bird so perfect means mature it means to fulfill the purpose for which a thing was created it says jesus is the perfecter of our faith a perfect faith is one that gets more grounded more focused more transferable, more communicatable as time goes on. So as we stay with endurance in the Christian race, as we keep inviting people to church, as we keep sharing our faith, as we keep standing tall against the tide of culture, God perfects us and we grow in holiness. So Jesus is the champion. He's the initiator. He is the perfecter. So, verse 3, don't be weary are tempted to give up. After all, you've not been killed for standing in truth. Can I translate that last piece for you? Buck up little buckaroos. Buck up little buckaroos. It's a truth of life that no matter how bad you think you have it, somebody has it worse. Somebody has it worse. 
the author encouraged his readers not to grow weary in faith development. And whatever they did, don't give up. You see, if we quit and exit the race, Satan wins and we lose. Are conditions always ideal? Almost never. Keep growing in Christ anyway. Do you always get a fair shake? Almost never. Keep loving people anyway. Are you going to get any encouragement from this world? Absolutely not. Keep standing for Jesus anyway. After all, you have not been killed for standing for truth. Sometimes you got to choose to pole vault in the rain because it's the only weather conditions you have to pole vault in. And it may well be, much to your surprise, that on that same day when everybody else is struggling, you may end up having the best day of your life. So you've received Jesus. Boom. So what is the path to holiness? The author of Hebrews tells us that this path is clearly defined. And when we expand into Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to get 10 what nows. And I'm going to just fly through these 10 what nows. What now? After we accept Jesus, what is the path into holiness? Number one, square up. Chapter 12, verse 12. So get a grip, widen your stance, and get your balance. It's the first thing we were taught in football. I remember the first day of football practice, our freshman year. Now, when I was growing up, you didn't play football from the time you were this big, right? You didn't play football. We didn't play formal football until we were trying out as freshmen in high school. But I remember the very first day they taught us a defensive stance. Get your knees down, widen your stance, get your head up, get some energy going, be ready. Because somebody is going to hit you. Somebody is going to hit you. And then I remember my freshman year, they like sent a senior to come and hit us. They looked like a Mack truck coming at us, but you're just going to stand there. He says, get there, stand up, square up, get a grip, widen your stance, get your balance. If you're spiritually off balance right now, if you're double-minded right now, get back into the alignment with Jesus. Get back aligned with your mission. Focus your mind and your spirit and your emotions. Get your head right and get your glance back on Jesus. Square up. Number two, live intentionally. Verse 13, plan your course. Intentional Christian living is rejecting the things in life that take us off mission and embracing the things that put us on mission. Are you aware that idols aren't just bad things? Idols are anything we put ahead of God. I don't find myself horribly tempted by bad things. But putting good things ahead of God, it gets a lot more tempting for a lot of us. He just says live intentionally. So let me just ask you a question. What is your game plan for the next few months to get closer to God? What's your game plan? If you don't have a game plan, I hope you like what you got now because that's what you're going to keep getting. Right? Keep doing what you've been doing. You're going to keep getting what you got. You want something a little different? Then tell me what your game plan is. You're going to get to church more. You're going to start reading the Bible more. You're going to start getting more positive things put in. What is the game plan? He says live intentionally. 
Failure to plan always is a plan to fail. Number three, live peaceably. Verse 14a, live in peace the best you can. In these days when people are so quick to vilify anyone who disagrees with them, Jesus told us to turn the other cheek. I want you to hear this. Sometimes you just got to let it go. Sometimes you got to let a big piece of floating stupid just float right on down the river. You don't need to cuss at it, don't need to scream at it, don't need to pick and post. Just let it go. It'll be gone soon enough. Choose to live peaceably. I decided a long time ago, it takes two enemies to have a war, right? So I'm going to always leave my detractors one enemy short of a war. I'm just going to leave you one short of a war. We're going to have detractors in a fallen world? Of course we are. Ask me a serious question. You stand for Jesus, are you going to have detractors in a fallen world? Of course you are. But leave your enemies one enemy short of a war. Just choose to live in peace. And sometimes it's just letting it go. Just let it go. Number four, live differently. Verse 14b says live holy. How are we different than people who don't know Christ? And my answer would be very, very simple. We are different because we live according to our understandings of the clear and consistent teachings of the Bible. That's why we worship and pray and tithe, engage in group study. It's why we witness. It's why we hold the positions that we hold. It's why we love people regardless of their past or their lifestyle or their position. It's why we endeavor to speak the truth, but to always do it in love. Because to be holy is to be set apart. We are to live differently. We're to live differently. Our mantra here at Christ Church is biblical truth and Christian love. And when we founded the new Christ Church a couple of years ago after our disaffiliation, I was very clear with everybody. We are going to stand in biblical truth. We're not going to go on the we apologize for the Bible tour. We're not going to go on the God suddenly changed his mind on everything tour. We're going to stand firmly in biblical truth here. But we're going to do it in Christian love. We're going to do it in Christian love. So if you don't want to stand on truth, we're not going to be the church for you. If you want to be ugly about standing in truth, we're not going to be the church for you either. We're not backing down from the truth, but we're also not backing down from love. That's living holy. It's being set apart. Number five, live in community. 15a, watch out for each other. How's that? Some of the Hebrew audience had removed themselves from the community of faith. They got burned up. They got used up. They just removed themselves. And with their withdrawal, they removed themselves from being blessed by God. They removed themselves from the blessing of both spiritual leadership and the accountability of, of walking together with brothers and sisters in Christ. The Christian walk in a fallen world is too hard to go at it alone. And we were never intended to. That's why we have the gift of the church. In the Old Testament, they had the gift of the temple. I assure you, the church doesn't need you or me nearly as much as we need the church. Christian people are called to live in community. Several years ago, I was talking to someone about church. And uh, 
hunter, uh, loved to deer hunt, and we were talking about church, and he looked at me, and he said, Shane, he goes, I got to be honest with you. I feel closer to God sitting in my deer stand than I do when I'm in church. And I said, Captain, sometimes I do too. But when Sunday morning comes around, I climb my butt down out of the deer stand. I go worship God and I can climb back in after church is over. Christians need the church. We need the fellowship. We need the accountability. The Bible says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. We need each other. We need the connection of each other. And not only that, the Jesus who lives in me will always yearn to be connected with the Jesus that lives in you. We need the church. We need to live in community. Number six, don't get cross-threaded. Verse 15b, and whatever you do, don't grow bitter. Bitterness begins when harbored animosity towards someone or something takes root in our spirits. If you feel yourself growing bitter, or if bitterness has set in, I just need to be real clear about something. If you're bitter at someone, your bitterness won't destroy them. It'll destroy you. We don't forgive to let other people off the hook. We forgive to let ourselves off of the hook so we don't have to live in hate and bitterness. Bitterness is a soul cancer. It will destroy you if you allow it to go unchecked. So don't don't live in bitterness. Number seven, keep worshiping. 13, verse 15, continually offer a sacrifice of praise. You know, when I think of worship, you know, a lot of times we equate worship with with having a service. Sometimes we equate worship with singing. But worship is really bigger than all that. Worship is making a connection with God. Worship is, is downloading God's stuff into our lives. That's what worship is all about. Through repentance, we pour out what's in us, like bitterness and hate. We pour all that out, and then we say to God what my dad used to say to gas station attendants when I was a kid. Fill her up. (laughs) Fill her up. We pour the sin out, and we allow God to download God's stuff in. I find it really interesting when I look around during worship, how many people have, have their hands raised? I was uncomfortable with that when I was young. I, I was just uncomfortable with it. I don't know why. Uh, and, and then I, I got a little older, and I, I, there were times I felt like I wanted to raise my hands, and I just didn't. And I remember asking my brother-in-law, Craig Lacotte, once. Boy, Craig was a hand raiser, he, he, hand thrower. God would dribble him. I mean, it was kind of amazing back then. And... Uh, I, I remember asking Craig once, I said, Craig, why do you raise your hands in worship? And he looked at me and he goes, because I can't keep them down. And I thought, you know what, I'm having trouble keeping mine down too. <laughs> Maybe I need to not keep them down. So I remember the first time I decided I was going to raise my hand, I decided to be bold. <laughs> right? I mean, right, right there. And then, and then I remember once, you know, and then you get some courage. And then I, I remember once, man, just sticking a hand in the air. Just felt a certain amount of freedom. Didn't stick them both up. Didn't want people to think I was a flamer. I just, I just had one up. And then I remember the day, just. And you say, why'd you raise your hands? Because I couldn't keep them down. Just kind of got tired of fighting God on it. You ever just get tired of fighting God? 
just couldn't keep them down. And when I was looking this morning, we were singing. I noticed so many of you were raising your hands. And you know what you looked like? Funnels. You looked like funnels. Maybe you've poured out your sin. And maybe you just say to God, fill her up. Fill her up as I worship. Fill me with your praise. Fill me with your presence. Keep worshiping. And number eight, be generous. Verse 6 of chapter 13 says, don't forget to do good and don't forget to be generous. Don't you think sometimes we get a little busy and we forget to do good? We're doing, twice a year here, we do food collection for the Fairview Heights Food Pantry. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing to do, but you got to take the time to do it. You know, when you go out shopping, you got to pick up a couple of things. You need to bring it to church. You need to put it in the basket. It's a good thing to do, but you just need to remember to do it. On occasion, we'll collect like diapers for the diaper bank for, for people who don't have enough money to buy diapers. And you know what? I've got a lot more money than I have desire to ever change a diaper. And so I'm, I'm, I'm for buying some, man. I mean, you talk about a choice. I'm in. Buy diapers. Never have to change a diaper again. Awesome. But you got to remember to do it. He's just saying, don't forget. Don't forget to do good things. Don't forget to be generous. Just don't forget. And did you know when you're generous and you do good, it reminds other people to be generous and do good. We, we play it forward. It, it really is a great thing. You ever notice the opposite happens too? Somebody's a real jerk somewhere and before long, it's like the jerk demons start infecting everyone, you know? You could have a whole store overtaken by the spirit of jerk, you know? And one person just started it. Well, generosity... Being in a good mood, it works the opposite way. Bring a little energy in, have a little pep in your step, have a little light in your eye. I guarantee you, you will have a positive influence on everybody you touch. Be generous. Number nine, be blessings. Chapter 13, verse 17. says, give your leaders reason to lead joyfully. This is in your best interest. I was thinking about that this week. I was watching a baseball game. And they have trouble getting umpires. I can't imagine why parents seem so calm. Uh, they have trouble getting umpires. And like they pay them like 35 bucks and expect them to bring their own clothing. So I can't imagine why they wouldn't want to do that. And, and I was reading that, that umpires are just quitting and, and people can't do it. We were at this ball game. They had one umpire. And I'm sitting there thinking, what are the chances one umpire is going to get every call tonight right? Zero. Look in the major leagues. They have like umpires everywhere. And they still are doing replays every two minutes, right? So I'm sitting there thinking, there's no reasonable expectation that this guy is going to get everything right. But I bet you he didn't eat supper tonight and say, you know what I'm really wanting to do tonight? I'm wanting to blow about six calls and have people cuss at me. I bet he didn't do that. I bet he's doing his best. And you know, if it were me, I think it'd be a great idea to, you know, be in a good mood around an umpire. Tell him thank you for being here. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for being a part of this great sport of baseball in America. Just thank you for who you are. And I've bought you a brand new Mercedes Benz that's waiting in the parking lot. <laughs> All umpires would appreciate that. But we can be kind. We can be kind. And it says here to be kind to your Christian leaders as well. You know, on a very personal note, I want to say thank you. 
for your unwavering support over these past 26 years. And I especially want to say thank you for your many acts of kindness that have been made to us during Melissa's battle with cancer. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, but in the late summer, we got a single phone call, and it changed our lives. We were swept up in a parallel universe of chemo, followed by surgery, followed by radiation, and all the horrible effects that that has on a human body. Well, I do want to let you know, for those of you that pray with us and for us, that we went in Tuesday for her three-month follow-up, and she is cancer-free and clear. So praise God. But I can't tell you how many times in the worst of it, and there were a lot of long nights, that uh, a thoughtful card, a gift that came through Amazon from some driver that was able to find our cabin, (laughs) it just meant a lot. I can't tell you how many times over the past 26 years that I've been going through a tough stretch, and a thoughtful card, or a little gift card just made a huge difference. It just made me realize God hasn't forgotten about me. You know, you open up a card that says thank you and has a $10 gift card to Dairy Queen. Do you know that buys you like one blizzard now? (laughs) And you know, you pull that bad boy out and you think, did I really need a $10 gift card to Dairy Queen? And then you take a breath and you think, absolutely. I absolutely (laughs) did. You know what? Uh, the gestures and support that we showed each other matters. It matters. When you're going through something difficult in life and your Christian family gathers around you and supports in thoughtful and appropriate ways, it, it does matter. So let's just support each other. If you know somebody's down, just, just take a moment and encourage them. It doesn't take much, but it means everything. And then finally, number 10, pray for God's leaders and God's work. 13, verse 18, we need prayer. I always tell Christian leaders that leading in the church today is like walking across a Midwestern cow pasture. In the snow, you're going to step in something. Christian leaders need your fervent prayers for protection and peace and power. And those of you who lift up me and your pastors and the staff up every single day, I say thank you. Those of you who lift up the ministry of this church every single day, I say thank you. You know, when we allow God to forge these 10 things into our lives, we grow in holiness. This is how holy people act. We become less like us and more like Jesus. And not only that, but we got the cloud crowd cheering us on every step of the way. One of my greatest gifts in my young life was having a mother who supported me, who believed in me, who didn't give up on me and nurtured me. Some of you had mothers like that and some of you didn't. But I assure you, we all have a God like that who will love you unconditionally, support you, believe in you, not give up on you. And nurture you. And that is the path to holiness. Would you pray with me? 
Great and mighty God, thank you for the clarity of your word. Sometimes I run into people and they say that they struggle so much with all the things they don't understand in the Bible. And I tell them, those things I don't understand don't bother me at all. It's all the things I understand perfectly well and have such trouble living into that bother me the most. Lord, you've given us a path to holiness. And as your work is done in us, these are things we should be seeing in our lives. So I pray, dear God, that you would continue to chisel away at us. That you would continue to make us more like Jesus and less like ourselves. That you would do what you uniquely have to do in each of us. To move us closer to becoming the people you've created us to be. And on this day, I pray for the women of Christ Church. I pray for the women who have nourished and nurtured. I pray for the women who have loved and supported and believed. I pray also for those who may, have feel, may feel that they have failed. And I know your grace is sufficient for us all. So dear God, here we stand. Not perfect in any way. But we are yours. We are yours. And we love you. And we praise you and we thank you. Do your work in us. Keep doing your work in us. Oh, good shepherd. In Jesus' strong name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand as we worship God together.